everybody. Welcome to the Hallmarkies podcast. We are really excited to be here today to be talking about some mysteries. And these are always so much fun to talk about. And we have a very special guest. I'm film critic Rachel Wagner. And we have my dear old dad is here to talk about these films. And so dad, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. I'm more of a food critic. (laughs) Then I am a movie critic. Uh, But yeah, it'll be fun. I look forward to it. Yeah. So this is your second time coming on the podcast. And I had asked you last year uh, if if you would be interested because they have these mysteries, these cozy mysteries here on Hallmark. And and, uh, you were always a big, at least uh, Sherlock Holmes fan. And so I thought uh, it would be fun. And uh, so it was perfect. It was the exact same time as you were on last year. And, uh, if uh, you'd come on again, and uh, it's kind of fun because we got to talk about three different series this time than we talked about last time. All right, let's do it. Yeah, very good. So, all right. Well, so we're going to talk about the January mysteries that they aired, and uh, uh, and we're going to start off with the crosswords mysteries this is crosswords abracadaver and what you don't know dad is that this was originally scheduled for uh, i think it was october and they had done all the marketing and they'd even done a preview show and uh, and then all of a sudden they found out that lifetime was going to be starting their christmas coverage uh that weekend and so if they aired this movie, that would mean that Lifetime beat Hallmark to the Christmas punch. And that couldn't be. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, literally three days before it was supposed to air, it was canceled and Christmas was started. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And so then uh, we got moved to January. And so we've been uh, anticipating this film for quite some time. <laughs> and... Uh, so yeah, that's that's a little backstory into the scheduling cr- craziness of, of Hallmark Channel. That uh, the, <laughs> they got to be the first to start airing Christmas, uh, which was interesting. So anyway, uh, yeah, and this is I think the fourth of the crossword mysteries, and uh, you haven't seen any of the others, and um, they the one thing that they have struggled with so you have this dynamic of this crossword puzzle writer and this cop and one thing they have struggled with is is involving Lacey's character in the stories uh sometimes it's it's felt like a pretty big aside from the very first one which there actually was a crossword puzzle involved in that crime uh they've struggled and so it's gonna be interesting to talk about this and see how they did uh, but uh, the the summary on Hallmark Channel is the summary is a well-known magician drops dead in the middle of a dangerous trick on stage in front of a packed audience. But when the sudden death turns out to be murder, New York Cent- Sentinel crosswords editor and part-time sleuther Tess Harper and NYPD detective Logan O'Connor team up to discover exactly whose sleight of hand is behind the deadly now you see him now you don't stunt. Uh, 
Together, they must uncover the not-so-obvious clues and work their investigative magic to bring a killer to justice. So, what were your overall thoughts about this film and the, the sort of the, the, the series uh, as you saw it from this one movie? I like this film. I, I liked it the best of the three we're going to review. Mm-hmm. It, they made a tie-in through her t- um, take tests was a taking magic lessons at yeah. the, the kind of school that's part of the theater and school and operation. And so it didn't really have anything to do with crossword puzzle writing, but it created a, an, a pretty natural tie-in. Yeah. Um, for the uh, connection. Yeah. And with, she, with Logan. So yeah, I think so. And she has her birthday at the magic, uh, the magic house uh, where went the night of the, of yeah. the crime. So that, that was pretty natural, I think too. So I think they did a, a good job. This was also my favorite of the three. Uh, I, <clears throat> I just thought the whole, sort of layer of magic kind of made everything all the, cause there's a lot of controversies in here as there always are. Uh, but I thought that they, they made it more fun because there was a magic element to it. Yeah. I, that and making magic part of the murder and yeah. the whole trick of changing bodies was very clever. Yeah. You know, and not something that you would figure out until, until it yeah. came out really which is the point i guess of a good whodunit is you don't know you're not able to figure it out in advance mm-hmm. you know so you stay interested right till the very end yeah so what do you think about uh brennan and Lacey as far as their chemistry did you feel a spark between them you think they did good together yeah i mean they had the little romantic spark when they were dancing. Yeah. And that seems to be part of these mysteries. Obviously they're always uh, very attractive uh, people Mm -hmm. and would naturally be attracted to one another. Um, And that flared up a little during that uh, part, but uh, you know, it wasn't made a big deal of, and it wasn't part of the plot or anything, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I think it worked pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brennan and Lacey have actually worked together, I think, six, seven times, I think. Uh, <clears throat> something like that. So they have a pretty natural chemistry together uh, and a lot of uh, you know, experience together. Uh, and not just on these mysteries they've done. There's a whole series called All of My Heart. They were in Chris, a movie called Christmas Melody together. And so they, they have a pretty natural flow. And I, I really did love that tango scene. I thought that was really fun. Yeah, they were of the three pairings. They were the ones that seemed most authentic to me. Yeah. And most natural chemistry. I mean, where you're looking at them going, okay, they're not acting right now. This, mm-hmm. You know, you're yeah. in the story and in the moment. Right. Yeah. So it opens up. I always, I try to divide these stories into murder, victim, family, what I call family fun, meaning stuff like the dancing, just like the fun extra stuff. And then uh, red, red herrings. 
which is most of the movie. Right. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I mean, I, I've got to tell you on the murder in this, it was pretty graphic and yeah. And I actually own a 357 Magnum revolver, really similar to the oh, one. Really? That, yeah. And that is no toy. I mean, it, if you don't have ear protection on the sound of that thing going off is enough to rock the place. And, you know, so I'm sitting there with my eyes shut because <laughs> I didn't want to see what was going to happen. Mm. I mean, it's one of the most powerful handguns. Oh, interesting. You I could buy. That. Yeah. It's super powerful. I mean, he was right when he said it's a deadly weapon, mm. you know, so I, I'd literally shut my eyes and then opened them after the gun fired because I didn't want to <laughs> see it. So the whole conceit of this trick, right, is that he they have a a, a wax bullet in right. the gun, and uh, and he has the bull the another bullet in his uh, mouth, right? So it'll look like he caught the bullet in his mouth, but then it ends up being a real dead body. Yep. And so it you know it doesn't work, and the way they're kind of able to get around that is that um, the the basically the body in the morgue is misidentified, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, and so well, the the accomplice to the murder it's her husband, and so she lies. So she, yeah, she goes in and as though she's his sister, I think. Yeah. And you know, identifies the body positively and yeah. nobody really pays attention after that till the end. Yeah. So there is a new crime reporter that's working named Reed, who's introduced in this movie, uh, who's working with Lacey. So you see with Tess, I should say. Um, and uh, yeah. And then there's the dancing scene. That's really the only family fun I would classify <laughs> as, uh, I guess her birthday party. Uh, you see her and her aunt there briefly played by Barbara Niven. Um, and, and I wish they would do more with Barbara Niven's character uh, because she's a good actress, but she's really just sort of a, a exposition dump for Tess to talk about the um, whatever she's looking into kind of thing for the, for the story. And, but uh, you see the, the magic trip, you see the, the, the shooting and uh, there's an assistant named Bianca. So this is the first red herring. Well, first they you, you think, oh, is it? It's a accident. It's just a. It was just a trick gone awry. And but then, sort of pretty early, it's thought that Bianca is your main suspect uh, because her and the the magician Alistair had been dating, uh, and um, he dumped her when she asked to do a trick. And because she wants to get into magic, I guess. And so how convincing were you, were you by that? Did you feel like she was suspicious, Bianca? Yeah, she was suspicious a little. But once Logan said that she was the prime candidate and Tess said, no, she's not, then you knew, mm. you know, you're going to move on from there. Right. Otherwise, the show is going to be too short, <laughs> you right. know. So, um, and she—I don't know. It's a little bit strange. She seemed off an awful lot younger mm -hmm. than oh uh, yeah, that's her true. love interest magician. You know, right? The murder victim, um, quite a bit. That's true. That's a good point. But 
and she seemed a little too imagining her pulling off a murder like that for what for the right to go on the show instead of him you know Mm -hmm. it seemed kind of a massive stretch too yeah i mean it did seem like also a stretch that his brother would be so the that what was it the day after had it even been yeah, a week? pretty quick and <laughs> yeah i mean they weren't obviously they'd worked together and all and then when they separated they didn't care about each other anymore yeah well but, that's not true because the um they got into a fight into a verbal altercation mm-hmm. outside of the classroom yeah so there were some intense uh moments in that little bit of the relationship you were exposed yeah. to which I think was a good, that was a good uh, red herring. Yeah. So his, his brother, Cormac, was the name. He's the one teaching the magic classes, and he wants to become a magician, uh, but his brother is the, is, is the big star. So there's definitely some jealousy there. Yeah. And he immediately takes over and does the show. Right, so that looks very suspect. Right. I'll get rid of him and step right in. Plus, there's this whole trick that he's doing where the the whole knife's in the coffin. And uh, he almost kills Bianca in the trick. Right. The the handcuffs aren't working right. And, uh, yeah. I I thought that was quite clever, but also... I was getting nervous. I know, me too. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's about to shove the sword right through the center. Right. Um, well, that and was... that's what made this one more fun is because uh, there there was that added layer of kind of magic. So, yeah, when it comes to seeming fairly authentic, you're like, don't do it. Oh, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> right. You know, you don't want it to happen. And then, yeah. So Tess comes in and saves the day at the last second. Right. Through yeah. some incredible deduction. Right. <laughs> you know, have, she found the, the handcuffs that she was supposed to be using that she could open mm-hmm. and then realized that she was probably in handcuffs that she couldn't open and she was about to be killed. Right. So that was, I mean, that was brilliant. Yeah, it was good. She's a, she's a smart one, Tess. <laughs> yeah, very smart. I, I couldn't yeah. figure that out. No. no. Um, so then we also get a red herring in a man named Paul Drexler, who's a businessman who, and that one didn't really go any anywhere. It was just kind of a, um, he's the one that they kind of confront uh, outside of his office. He's got his uh, ad. Um, So you briefly see that. And uh, we meet a woman named Julia Marquez, who is uh, a, uh, um, is the dance partner of Alstair. And uh, at first, she's the one that pretends to be, uh, at first, she's the one that misidentifies the body. But they don't know that at first. The the coroner thinks right. he's his sister, uh, Alistair's sister. Right. Yeah. No, that her whole role was uh, 
woven in quite cleverly, mm-hmm. you know, when Tess first followed her up the stairs and she disappeared. Well, then that later turns out to be a secret passageway to the mm-hmm. basement. And that was cool. Yeah. You know, and, and then the dance class and the dance teacher and, and all of it, it made it mysterious as to what possible role she could have. Turns out she had a major, mm-hmm. she was one of the two. Yeah, because Tess notices that she's got some uh, luggage out. It looks like she's about to bolt, about to travel, and she starts to be suspicious yeah. of her. And and then they also notice that there's a whole additional part of the um, of the uh, theater that's on the old uh, blueprints approved and not on the new. Yeah. And, so they realize there's a, a whole section of the castle and and so uh they uh I thought it was a pretty good sequence when I mean a part of you is like what is why are these people don't why don't they go with any why did they go by themselves all alone into a secret passageway where people are getting murdered but <laughs> nevertheless well I mean that's what detectives do but <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, uh, I like the way it ended though, where yeah. they weren't in a shootout, where right. the henchman guy passed them while they were hiding, and then they went up, mm-hmm. and you know they were able to then later arrest them, and there wasn't a phony shootout at the end, yeah, you know, or a threat to shoot when it was, you know, would have bordered on absurd. It's true. So, there, there really wasn't actually in this one the whole. Uh, I'm going to monologue and the, the guy with the gun holding up the amateur sleuth and right, monologue right. about everything, well, the whole plan. <laughs> not only that, I liked it when they were at the uh, police headquarters and he was interviewing them and kind of telling them what their destiny was and playing mm-hmm. into magic and that this is no, this is no trick. This is right. for real, you know, and the way they caught them uh, was good too. I, it was a, a more complicated, appropriate ending, I'd say, than the other two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, yeah, I thought for a second that that henchman guy, I thought that he he might be involved somehow or might be kind of hired by somebody. Or I, even for a while, I thought maybe the, the, the head of the magic castle, um, I couldn't figure out a motive. There was no motive for him, but... But I don't know. He seemed a little. <laughs> I well, entirely he, trust him. He could be charged with attempted murder. You know, he was in no deep trouble after it was all over. Yeah, that's for sure. And he's probably the one who dragged the body in inside the the uh, the casket box. Uh-huh. You know, so I don't. I mean, he was not a good guy. What was his motivation for doing that? I can't even can't even remember. Well, he was related to. He was like uh, the cousin of, oh, I think, of Alistair. No, of uh, no, the dance partner. Oh, right, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was related to her. There, he had some axe to grind. Yeah, yeah. Julia, well, he had some connection with right. Julia. I think so. Right, and so yeah, it 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 all. Uh, all worked out, of course, in the end. <laughs> and uh, you have—I I, thought—I thought it quite a bit of 
fun banter between uh, Logan and Tess. Uh, you know, is he's like, "What are you doing here? Why are you here? <laughs> like, right? Why are you looking into this?" <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was fun. Yeah, I mean, in all of these, there's the. I mean, if you start getting too analytical about it, and I, ha as you know, I have a law degree. I'm right. not. A, I'm not a lawyer, but you know, you start looking at it from a legal perspective, and having a uh, a uh, private individual become involved in yeah. police work, intimately involved, you know, without being an employee of the police right. department is is problematic, but. You know, I mean, in that sense, it hails back to Holmes and Watson. I mean, in a sense, Holmes was private detective, though. But Watson was his, you know, yeah. uh, less professional Companion. Uh, sidekick. Yeah. yeah, That's true. That's a good point. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, in even, a, a, you know, like, um, oh, what's... I can't remember. Uh, Agatha Christie. She has the, I can't think of her name just laughed my brain, but um, she had the old lady stories. <laughs> I can't think of the name of amateurs, you know, an amateur sleuth. And, um, uh, but uh, yeah. And then it's, you've seen that a lot in um, television. Yeah. And um, in fact, and also um, there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, cozy mystery books and uh, yeah. In fact, uh, our, your mother, my grandma, she loved uh, Mary Higgins Clark, who wrote Cozy Mysteries, who mm -hmm. just passed away this week. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so she would write uh, a lot of this kind of these kind of stories, and uh, so I don't know. It's it's just kind of it's there's a certain degree of escapism and fun with this, and I really thought this one captured it well. I really enjoyed it, and so I give this one. I'm going to give it a pretty high score for what it's trying to be. I'm going to give it a four out of five crowns. Yeah, I would too. I'd give it four out of five. We're going to talk in the, uh, more in relationship to the subsequent ones about yeah. how effectively they pull off the setting. Right. Um, and I think here they were able to make it more plausibly New York City than the other two did their two venues, um, right. which I actually, you know, I like the more authentic it is that way, the, the more believable the story sure. is because sure. it's, I mean, it's clear where they're trying to have it set. Right. Yeah. And also it just makes more sense being in a big city that you're going to have more homicides. <laughs> I mean, it, so it right. makes it a little more realistic, but, uh, but yeah, they did a good job with this one. We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. They're the good folks over at HelloFresh, and they are America's number one meal kit. And right now, if you go to HelloFresh.com slash Hallmarkies10, use code Hallmarkies10, you get 10 free meals, including shipping. So that's an amazing deal. And I think that this is a really wonderful service. I've been doing it now for a couple of months, and I've really enjoyed it. Uh, it's so nice because it, it really works well with my lifestyle as a, as a single person because I don't have all of 
these bottles of sauces and spices and things like that that I only need for one recipe. Uh, you get just enough for that recipe and they have the recipe cards and it makes it easy to follow and it just gets me out of my dinner rut so that I uh, I'm, able, I'm cooking different things. I'm trying different things. And it's a lot of fun. They have 22 plus seasonal chef curated meals each week. Everything I've made has been delicious. And, uh, and uh, they try to uh, curate it so that it works with your allergies and with other things. Uh, you can get different uh, type of kits. They have low calorie vegetarian and family friendly. You can get it in servings of two or four and uh, it just saves so much time if you're busy like I am you don't have to go to the grocery store you don't have to spend time planning all that is really really just makes life so much easier and then you have the the, the packaging HelloFresh uses to ship the food almost entirely made from recyclable or already recycled content they have a carbon footprint 25% lower than store-bought grocery-made meals. So it's a really impressive company. And more importantly, the recipes are yummy. And I think you'll really enjoy them as a family or if you're single like me, it'll really be a great thing for your life. So go to hellofresh.com slash Hallmarkies10. Use code Hallmarkies10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. And all right, so let's talk about the gourmet detective Rue okay. the Bay. And both of us, in this case, this is our first time watching a gourmet detective. This is their fifth movie that they've done together. And uh, the idea behind this show, Dylan Neal was telling us on the podcast, I'll put a link down to his interview, but he was telling us that they're trying to get kind of that heart-to-heart -heart kind of dynamic of that sort of uh, witty banter kind of, uh, 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 you know, repertoire between the two. And uh, so, you know, we're coming from a different perspective because we haven't seen any of the other films. Right. But, uh, but it, they actually hadn't had a movie since uh, 2017, which is why I haven't mm. seen any of the others because we haven't had the podcast that long. And because we just started uh, in um, Christmas, just before Christmas in 2017, and I hadn't seen uh, I hadn't seen any of their of the previous films, and so uh, yeah. But um, I don't know. It's an you know, it's an interesting dynamic. This one's kind of unique because it's I think the only one I can think of of these mysteries where the girl is the cop. And the guy is the amateur sleuth, I guess. <laughs> and so that's different. Yeah, not only was she a cop, but her boss was a female as well. True. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so the plot on this one, the summary is, Henry is hired to authenticate and purchase a long-lost and very valuable recipe book. Soon, Henry and Maggie find themselves in a murder mystery where secrets hidden with a treasure book have dire consequences for all who own it. Uh, so what was your overall thoughts about this one? Well, actually I think the part about the book was the most intriguing mm. aspect of it and that gave it its greatest strength. And, and I don't know how true the recipe book, um, <clears throat> the value and, and whether or not, 
private restaurants, you know, keep those fastidiously over a long period of time. Yeah, it would but, be interesting to know if, like, a, say, a restaurant like Tavern on the Green or, you know what I mean, like someplace that's been yeah. around a long time like that, it would be interesting to know if they have a chef's book. I'd be curious. But, yeah, books, I mean, I'm not into book collecting, but I know people are, and they can become very valuable. And I thought that was a – it was not being an expert on things like that. I thought it was interesting. and. Mm-hmm. made for a good uh a, a good nexus for the story i think yeah i agree and i i thought the the <clears throat> whole idea of it being a forgery was a surprise that i didn't anticipate and uh so that part of it was fun and to hear about how they created the forgery uh so yeah i i think we're we're pretty much on the same page yeah that uh, added a lot of complexity to the story mm-hmm. and to the who done it part really yeah. Uh, yeah. There, overall, there were things that didn't really work for me about this one. I, I felt like it was very convoluted, even for one of these kind of movies. And I I don't know, there were just certain things we'll talk about that were just a little much for me, uh, even for one of these kind of movies. <laughs> but uh, but it, didn't, it wasn't without some charm. So. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely situations that were so far over the top from reality that I maybe the most obvious one was the essentially tricking the homeowner into going in the home, then invading the home for evidence in the secret upstairs room. And then having they uh, having the dad, pretend he yeah. was a former police officer I guess, but to have him pretend to be a police officer you know having all this stuff yeah that's so like a felony imp- <laughs> yeah i mean actually they're committing crimes yeah it's it's you can't impersonate a police officer that's a felony yeah and, uh, well yeah, you and- can't you cannot <laughs> gather evidence or break no. you know go and enter without a search warrant um, yeah. i mean so that's where i thought this one compared to the others was at its weakest. It was mm-hmm. the most, and the whole idea of people killing over this book and, and someone, um, you know, who is well-established the, the grandson who's mm-hmm. got his, his well-established estate and lifestyle, uh, becoming a murderer essentially, and even seeming to relish the thought of killing both of them at the end and excited about it was uh it was kind of ridiculous yeah. it was definitely a lot uh, but it started out classic classic this kind of thing with the with the you see the from the perspective of the <clears throat> murderer you know and you see the gun and the uh the antique store guy richie yeah Brown, yeah goner <laughs> he's, he's he's not long for the world and uh uh, and so uh, I thought that was kind of fun. And, um, and then, um, and then we have some family fun in this. We've got, they talk a little bit, have some fun with these, that they're changing up the menu at Molly's and, and trying all these new foods. And then we also find out that, <laughs> that Maggie is right. playing, paying very close attention to her daughter uh, on by social media and everything who's in college. She's kind of 
cyber stalking her daughter <laughs> and uh, that she's having a hard time letting go of her right. daughter in college. So that's kind of there. And then you have the other, the big family fun is that, is that Maggie wants to take Henry to a baseball game because she loves it. She loves sports and he is in your kind of Fraser Crane type of guy who, you know, who likes the finer things and doesn't, you know, doesn't like sports. And so she's really excited. She's finally, she's got him to go to a Giants game. She's got the foam finger and the face, but he wants to stop before they go to the game and go to this auction to try to buy. He's been hired by a mysterious benefactor to go and buy the chef's book because they know that he has enough knowledge to know whether it's fake or real or whatever. And that was her big mistake there. <laughs> you never allow, uh, you never allow a stop before something like that. You gotta, you just gotta go, <laughs> go to the game. Yeah. I had a little trouble. She bought him a hat and it was right. to go to a San Francisco giants game. And it had a totally bogus logo on the hat. <laughs> it had a G which yeah. is their, their logo is one of the most famous in baseball, their SF logo. And so yeah. it wasn't authentic at all, that part of it. But that's yeah. just a little thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, we talked about it offline that having grown up in the Bay Area and knowing it like I do, you know, I, I could tell that most of the, the, a lot of the scenes were not yeah. actually shot there. Uh, but that's okay. Right. I mean, I understand they have a budget. They're not, they can't go on location everywhere. Right. Yeah. This was filmed <laughs> in, yeah, in uh, Vancouver and well, in British, British Columbia, we assume it's Vancouver and uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely true. I didn't notice that about the, uh, about the hat, but I don't know sports. So <laughs> they, they probably count on that uh, for their movies, but, but yeah, uh, her, uh, her letting him go to the auction was a bad, bad move. <laughs> don't do that. Because, uh, of course, things get dicey real quick. And so the, the red herrings start out pretty quick. We have Elsa Edwards, who is uh, the, um, she's, she's mad about the book being gone. She's upset. And uh, she also doesn't like Henry because uh, or he doesn't like her because she wrote a bad review of his restaurant and she has the same gun that was used as the murder weapon that's amazing i mean these liberal san francisco restaurateurs <laughs> you know packing semi-automatic pistols no. it's, it's yeah. something, something <laughs> out of kind of fishy there yeah <laughs> right well <laughs> this is the <laughs> This is the upper 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 crust, I guess. Yeah. But um, and also she wears the black dahlia perfume, which I guess is that he smells at the crime scene when they when they see. Yeah. Uh, so that's your red herring there. Then you have Leah Rollins, who is competitive chef. Uh, she just she kind of just wanted to look at the book, and she loves Henry. And she's kind of hurting. Her financials aren't doing so great with her restaurant. Did you buy that at all as a red herring? Uh, no, not that she could have been the murderer. Yeah. Not, not for those motives. I she mean, would have done it for the book. No. no. I mean, again, the whole thing that anyone would do it for the book is 
you know, a, a huge stretch, I think. Um, right. That's not as powerful a motive as you have in the other two. The other two have more, a more serious uh, reason for criminal intent, yeah. I'll say. So then you have Josie Klein, who is, who owned the book, uh, and she was going to put it up for auction. She decides last minute to, uh, to sell it and not put it up for auction. And, uh, and we find out that through, so there's this whole scene at the, at the park where they, uh, they have this whole, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, not sting up the whole, they have this whole thing planned where they're going to catch this guy. Right. That, that's going to, that has supposedly has the book. Well, yeah. The problem is, and I thought that was a pretty fun scene. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. And, and then he actually, Henry gets the book and it turns out that it's fake and it's a forgery. Yeah. And he, the reason why he knows that is he can smell the walnut oil used to age the pages right so yeah that was a that was a clever twist yeah it's a bit odd to have a non-police officer as the sitting duck right uh, even with a bulletproof vest on right but (laughs) you know but then again they would probably recognize a police officer right so yeah maybe it was the best i don't know but uh but yeah that was kind of a fun scene and they uh they find out that uh, there's a tangled web where they, the family, uh, the Belvedere family, didn't want the, uh, the items in, they didn't want the book to be sold because there, there were lots of recipes using absinthe. And did you know about absinthe before watching this movie? You know, I've heard of it. Um, but I wasn't knowledgeable. I'd say I just yeah. heard of the ter- the word. Yeah, it gets. Uh, I'd I'd heard of it too. I in uh, some you know ra- down somewhere I'd heard of it. But but yeah, it's illegal, and uh, it, uh, it there felt this like sense of shame about the absinthe and being in all these recipes, and so that they they forged the book Josie did to remove all that so that her family wouldn't be shamed but then they could still get the money and the guy who is Daniel Whelan is his name he's the go between for the book in the park who also used to date Leah who's the the chef she he ends up murdered so it's a double murder so so uh so we know it's it wasn't him and obviously and then you also meet a lawyer um who's the one that that was the one that contacted uh contacted henry about buying the book right and you you also meet the they try to do a red herring of the owner of the antique store named Mm -hmm. goldstein but that's not very convincing. And before you had met Nicholas Bel- Belvedere, who I, uh, you know, seemed all like kind of supportive, but not 
I don't know, it was a little shady. He has like this fake Van Gogh. And I felt like they were kind of, that was sort of their way of being like, hint, hint, this guy, something no good. Uh, hmm. But, um, uh, but yeah, I, he, he's played by Lane Edwards, who we've had on our podcast. And I thought that it was kind of fun for him to, to sort of play this kind of campy, over the top villain like it's it's uh well, you know he went his character went through three phases mm-hmm. you know so at first he denied any wrongdoing or involvement in a negative way and yeah. then he he admitted he was lying about that that he had and this he starts then with his attorney at his side right he starts you know saying i i really wanted to get the book for these reasons so on and so forth and then he, the third stage, you know, as you'll mm-hmm. come to here, he turns out to be yeah. the bad guy. Right. And before that, we forgot to say the reason why they find out about the uh, the walnut oil is because they stage this whole kind of coup with uh, her dad and uh, pretending yeah. to be a cop. And she sneaks into the, the book restores the Goldstein guy that, right. that sneaks into his house and finds the the all the the proof of forgery and yeah that whole scene was almost I, I felt like they almost had sort of Benny Hill music playing like it was too it was too silly it was yeah it was yeah it, it, it was the low point yeah for sure it was it, it, it didn't work for me at all and uh and then this the other part that to me didn't work is like i'm fine having the absinthe being an element but the idea that making this special drink this uh emerald dream yeah, right. that that would be so amazing i don't drink alcohol but <laughs> i mean there's so many different drinks that you could make that that like making this absinthe drink would be worth all of the you know like yeah. all of this just so that they could have the emerald dream seemed like a lot to me <laughs> yeah well the idea i mean surely they'd get caught yeah you yeah know. and also it could like i mean there's a reason why it's it's outlawed it's dangerous it could right. it could kill people you know? well that made them really bad guys i mean right it made them really bad guys right yeah and so then they they kind of put all the pieces together and use and uh so there's this dramatic scene they figure out because there's this uh the maggie is looking at the overhead shot of the belvedere mansion and she sees all these kind of greenhouse looking things and she's like hmm what could that be where are they getting all this wormwood for the absinthe and uh so they go and they go to the greenhouses and they find all of these wormwood plants and uh there's a whole scene with uh nicholas uh with a gun like actually like shooting (laughs) shooting at people and and you even get a scene where Maggie ends up uh, sh- shooting him in the uh, in the um, leg. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, it was definitely over the top. It was kind of fun, uh, but I may be projecting just because I know the actor or I've met the actor a little bit. But um, uh, but yeah, uh, the uh, um. 
that or oh she she shoots him in the shoulder she's shoulder yeah. but that that was usually I've, I've never seen that in another um well, Hallmark movie that scene created it was supposed to create a lot of tension at the end mm-hmm. you know because they there was a shootout at yeah. the end and yeah. but it, it begs the question of what belvedere possibly could have expected the outcome to the be game. he was going to kill them both and bury their bodies in his property and no one would ever figure it out in the police department at that point yeah. when you know i mean so it was uh if you think if you go too far it was silly but right um yeah i think the best part of this show was the the book and the absinthe and the, yeah. that whole kind of complicated scheme that tied the two together right and and the irony of he wants the book so his family doesn't look bad but he's in the business of make you know supplying wormwood for absinthe for the drink (laughs) right to make money at the time you know so that was i thought the strongest part Mm -hmm. of the uh of the show and it was cute at the end when uh, she's like, okay, we're going to go to the, to the baseball game or whatever. And he ends up get, bringing his, her daughter back and she gets to go to the game with her daughter. Yeah, that was, that was cute. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't like it. And so, yeah, there you go. So that's this one. It, it was too convoluted. I did not like that that imitation scene. It was definitely, like you said, the low point. Um, and so it wasn't a great introduction to this series, in my opinion, for me. I'm going to give it, maybe this sounds harsh, but I think uh, it's what it deserves. I'm going to give it a 2.75 out of 5. Oh, we can use decimal points? Yes, you can. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'll go. Well, again, I don't have a history of doing this, so. I'll go 2.8. All right. (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Last one. So this was actually a pilot uh, for a new series, and we're actually getting the second one in February. So they're pretty confident about this series. It's, It's unusual. It's called A Beautiful Place to Die, A Martha's Vineyard Mystery. And it's unusual for a Hallmark movie in a lot of ways mainly the biggest thing is that it has a male lead instead of a female lead that is very rare and uh, so you have jesse Metcalf in the lead and uh so you know that's that's interesting uh interesting dynamic he's very popular uh amongst many hallmark people (laughs) and um uh i'm not a big fan of him on chesapeake shores which is the another show that is not my favorite um but i think he's serviceable as an actor he's he's not my favorite but i think he's fine um and uh, so i don't know it's it's just an interesting dynamic you have him playing there's really no amateur sleuth in this one which is different too uh because you have him as a retired detective and you have uh you have z who is medical examiner slash daughter of a chief of police so it you know well she, she's really a practicing doctor with past experience as a medical examiner mm-hmm. yeah. and so she is kind of the amateur she goes way beyond 
what any forensic role would be in mm -hmm. her involvement okay. in solving the case. So I would say she still fills that role of amateur sleuth because she's first presented as his doctor in the emergency room and as a conventional doctor. Mm -hmm. Then she gets involved. When she gets involved in the story, she's able to function in the role, in the forensic role because of past experience, but that wasn't her current medical job. But they're, they're both professionals adjacent more than some of these other ones, at least. Than yeah, yeah, because she does stick more to what she's qualified to do professionally. Mm -hmm. I'll say yeah. that. That's true. Yeah. So it's an, it's interesting. It's an interesting setup. Um, so this one, the we just have a little plot. So it's just after being forced into early retirement, former detective Jeff Jackson returns to a quiet life on Martha's Vineyard. Quiet at least until a body washes up and he's drawn back into crime solving. So, <laughs> so there we go. There's not really a ton of family fun in this one. Just some scenes of them fishing. Uh, some, uh, you have some uh father's kind of son moments uh and <clears throat> well um, no actually it's father daughter right the the police chief is yeah so is is z's father right you have some moments between them and then he, yeah you have some moments between him and uh him and jesse's character too don't you all right it's been uh, this is the one i saw the uh, least sure. recently so the, maybe the one I, that goes that. on through the whole film through the whole thing is is yeah. z and her police father dad or right. police chief dad and i thought the police chief dad i thought he played the part really well yeah he did good he was good and uh and then you just have some because this is a first one so they have some backstory to do uh so you have you find out about his uh the bullet that he has right. on his back uh you find out that some stuff about him and the the case that made him retire yeah and, i thought the flashbacks were fairly compelling mm -hmm. you find out that z that that she as doctor slash medical examiner like you said uh that she has a history with jeff like i don't think they ever really like dated but they kissed and they In had high school learned yeah when they were and young they're much older now yeah yes and one fun thing that fans of the podcast will appreciate is our friends over at the Bubbly Cess podcast. Uh, they're Jackson Shawl are their their names, and <laughs> they uh, they interviewed the writer of this movie, Craig Weinman, and uh, he agreed to name a character after the two of them. And so the reporter. <laughs> uh played by chelsea hobbs the reporter was named jackie shawl after oh, okay. <laughs> after our oh, that's funny. after our friends which is kind of funny <laughs> yeah they wanted on their podcast they said they wanted him to name the murderer after them but i guess they decided not to do that which right. was funny um and so yeah you have this reporter jackie shawl on the case and <laughs> uh so basically so we've got our red herrings in this one um you have this the first one is you find out this the person murdered is this uh um this guy named ray that you find floating and they find floating in the water 
And you find out that he really wanted to talk to this family, the Martins, and talk to, uh, to um, what was his name? Uh, Gerald Martin. Gerald, yeah, Gerald Martin. Who's he a finds very, out- very well-established right successful accountant yes and and they have this fund this that's called uh that's hair sorry i lost it where's it they have this fund called harriet's hope and that they have and uh it's being investigated by the irs because are they skimming uh things Uh, are they being straight on their taxes and uh but uh, but ray he finds out that his mother had been receiving checks from uh from a lawyer associated with uh with uh Gerald Martin with the Martins and so he wants to find out more he thinks that that this Gerald is his uh is his father so he's trying to figure out what's what's going on so that he ends up showing up murdered and uh so okay uh and he shows up in town and he makes a big awkward scene at one of their big events right. so they have this and, big fundraising gala yeah and so that's your first red herring so you have gerald martin that he's rich he's got this class of 85 ring which i guess is the same cl- same year as his, as ray's mother and uh and then uh, this Jackie Shaw is investigating it, thinks that she wrote a whole article on him, and he's just real snobby. He's a real, you know, what you think of as Martha's Vineyard type. And uh, and then he has two kids named Brad and Stacy, right. and they become sort of the main suspects. Yeah. Brad and Stacy. Um, and particularly when they find these bricks outside and they are able to it's glass bricks because they're gonna renovate. yeah it's called block glass yeah and so they they find stacy's prints on the block glass and so that becomes a big suspect was that did you think that that, that was well it's because they found a tiny fragment of glass in his it is in the laceration in his mm-hmm. head and they traced it back to that palette of glass Right. And then they found her fingerprints. So, yeah, I mean, that was a fairly good uh, red herring. Yeah. yeah. There's also this whole thing of they they don't see uh, – they they check the, the cameras at the event. Right. And when they see uh, um, different people coming and going and uh, and – when they see Brad and Stacy leaving and that that's also kind of convincing. But the problem with Brad and Stacy is they don't really have a motive for why. Yeah, I mean, their only motive is this, this uh, potentially illegitimate brother is going to crash their scene, mess up their family life and, and uh, create a nightmare for their father and their family yeah. and potentially for their income, their status in the community. I mean, I think that's what they're, what they're trying to convey in the story as their plausible motive. Right. And then you have, uh, uh, you have Helena Parsi and Thomas Percy and her car is stolen and she has her business card in Ray's hotel room. 
So they think, <laughs> oh, she's somehow involved. Um, and then there's also this guy, Donovan Fletcher, who owns the boat. And there's a scene where yeah. Donovan's bodyguard attacks uh, Z yeah. uh, and tries to fight Jeff uh, for being on the boat. So that they try to have a thing there. And, uh, and then you have this whole thing with them skimming money and this audit and Jackie Shaw. And they, the big moment it, at the end is that you have Thomas, he says, to love and be loved is everything. And that was in Ray's mom's yearbook. That was the quote. And so that's kind of this, this big aha moment. And right. there's this woman named Peyton. And she's, she kind of runs everything at Harriet's Hope. She's hosting the gala. Right. And so it turns out that Peyton is the murderer. Peyton is the bad it's a bad right. one. Yeah, uh, this genteel woman, you know, who all of a sudden is capable of murdering for her charitable foundation. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit challenging. <laughs> and then in the end, uh, if you remember, you know, she grabs Z with it, and she suddenly has her own handgun too. Right. And you know, this philanthropist with a with a semi-automatic pistol and grabs her. You know, fortunately she doesn't shoot her. Uh, it doesn't, she doesn't pull it off. But I mean, I, to me that this was the, the weakest part of this one was the ending. Yeah. I have to agree. I, I was always kind of suspicious of her because she just was <clears throat> just kind of a jerk. And so it was, well, I, I think one of the ideas of these shows is to have the the bad guy or bad bad gal is someone that you'd least ex- suspect in the beginning. Right. And then it's like at the end, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's her. Right. Or it's him. And so that was, I mean, that was fairly effective that way. But the motive is so weak, you know, at, to me, yeah. for murder. And it... You have to imagine, so this is a person who probably never committed a crime in her whole life, suddenly is capable of murdering not one, but potentially more in order to save the reputation of her charitable foundation. Well, Uh, that's where I struggle with it. Couldn't she have gone to jail for all the skimming the books? Um, Maybe, you know, I... I don't know. In all likelihood with the IRS in a situation like that, you're going to just have to pay back. Uh Well, what it does is it, what it primarily does is you lose your 503C status as a charity. And so then you're no longer able to get donations where people can have a write-off. And, you know, I mean, again, that, that's a pretty big stretch for murder. You know, it couldn't be like mail fraud or bank fraud or, Maybe, anything like but, that yeah interesting but at the end you know she's what's she gonna do kill both of them both z and jeff and jump in a boat from right. martha's vineyard and flee to havana or something you know i i mean there's no out yeah. at that point uh yeah uh yeah <laughs> it, 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 it was that i agree with you i agree with you on this um, I think it was a pretty solid start, though, for a series. I yeah, I uh, 
I, 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 why I'm not hundred percent convinced on J Jeff and Z as their chemistry together, but you know, I, I want to see more of that and we'll see, you know, coming up in a couple of weeks. But, uh, but I, I think that I walked away from me like that was pretty, that was a pretty good start. Uh, they did a pretty good job and I'm curious to see where it goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to have a lot more murders in Martha's <laughs> Vineyard, kind of, right. you know, than they've had traditionally according yeah. to the show. I, I told you uh, offline again that one challenge I had with this was I was really actually interested to see the whole thing set in Martha's Vineyard because I've never been there. Right. And I wanted to see the scenery and the architecture and that, and it became clear they did a they just showed as they do in all these shows, they'll show a helicopter fly either that or a drone shot above that's not has it doesn't have anything to do particularly with the show. But then the show was actually filmed, like you said, probably in Vancouver, because I actually watched this with mom and you know, I'm seeing these scenes of the marina and I'm seeing mountains in the background and I'm like, that's not Martha's vineyard. Right. Yeah. You know, so, that's totally fair. so I would have, I, and again, now I think about it, that that's probably for, for the scale of the production, the audience size and the budget to haul everybody off and produce it in Martha's vineyards, probably unrealistic. And, but you know, I got, yeah. Uh, and, and maybe I'm just a little too, uh, you know, detailed on this, but that's, I mean, it's a, it's about Martha's taking place in Martha's vineyard. So I actually wanted to see Martha's vineyard yeah. more. But. Yeah. And I wish that some of these, like, I don't understand why it necessarily always has to involve murder. Like it'd be fun if they, I mean, I think you could do a really fun one with, uh, with like a Ponzi scheme that someone's investigating or something like that. Like it doesn't always have to be, be well, murder, but I guess it's yeah, part I imagine of the, the who done it theme is pretty predominantly yeah. based on murder. But I mean, it could be a, you know they, dr a drug deal, or it could be you know. I mean, yeah. there's plenty of other crimes, some of which you wouldn't want to use, but right. You obviously don't want. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's um, thing. And when I reflect back on the home stories, a lot of them don't involve murder. You know, they yeah. They, or it comes close, mm -hmm. but he saves the day. Not always. Right. You know, but some of them are not that at all. There's some, you know, crazy scheme that's revealed and all the chip, all the dominoes fall yeah. after that. But yeah, I guess it goes back to like murder. She wrote, you know, the Cabot Cove and all the, a lot of murders for one, a small town in Maine uh, going yeah. back. Uh, but but anyway, I, I liked this. I thought it was pretty solid. Uh, the next one is called Riddled with Deceit. I'm Martha's mm. Vineyard. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'm going to give this 3.25 crowns. Yeah, I'll give it 3.4. All right. Very good. Okay, good. Well, I think this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed talking about these with you and uh thanks so much for coming on the the podcast again i really it was a lot of fun and um and i will have to do it again okay i'd like to <laughs> thank you for inviting me yeah. i hope 
that I've added something to the uh, podcast. Yeah. Well, let us know if you're listening, what you think of these, uh, these different mysteries, well, how many crowns you would give them and, uh, and put that in the comment section or on Twitter. We would love to hear your thoughts and make sure you're following the podcast to Helmerkey's pod and Helmerkey's podcast, all of our social media and on iTunes and YouTube. And if you are listening on iTunes, please leave us your ratings and reviews. It really helps us out. And if you're listening on YouTube, please give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. That is so appreciative. And, uh, and then you can follow me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, everywhere. I just finished uh, spending 10 days at the Sundance Film Festival, so I have all my reviews up for all of the films that I saw. So check that out. I would really appreciate it. And we also have our patron group, which is really fun. And we sure appreciate every single patron that we have. You can find more information in the description section for that. We have giveaways, exclusive content, lots of fun stuff going on there. Uh, we also have our merch store, which has all different kinds of Hallmark inspired uh, merch uh, for the Hardys and Hallmarkies in your life. So check that out. And uh, thanks again, Dad. Really appreciate it. We'll definitely have to have you on again sometime. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Bye, everybody.